John chapter 20, if you've got your Bibles, you can follow me or you can follow me on the overhead. Um, in John chapter 20, it says that uh, starting verses 1 and 2, uh, it talks about the women going to the tomb that morning, finding the tomb or the stone rolled away. And uh, they come back and report it to the disciples. James or John and Peter run down to the tomb and see the stone rolled away. They see the cloth, uh, the grave clothes uh, there in the tomb, uh, the napkin folded and lying there. And, um, and then they go back to the house. And it says at that moment that John believed. John's a believer at that moment. Peter's still undecided, but John is a believer. And then we uh, pick up, there's not a lot about hap what's happening that day. This is, this is Easter Sunday morning. This is a Resurrection Sunday morning. And, um, but we know that, that something happened later on that day. Um, there were two disciples that were walking on the road down to Emmaus, and Jesus appeared to them. And when he appears to them, uh, uh, Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and so they go back. They'd walked. I don't know how long it takes you to walk seven miles, but probably, you know, a number of hours. But they walk back, or maybe they run back, and say that they have seen the resurrected Lord. And we'll pick up there. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were, to, were together, with the doors locked, listen to this, this is important, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands, and he showed them his side that we just saw um, in the video uh, where the sword had pierced it. And after this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you, as my Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and that word translates, it's interesting, it translates both the same in Greek and Hebrew, and it means the twin. And typically, that's what they called him. They called him the twin. They didn't call him Thomas. They called him the twin. And uh, it was kind of a nickname that he had. And uh, one, uh, Thomas, one of, the tw uh, one of the 12, was not with them. Remember, at this point, Judas is already dead. So there's only 11. Thomas is missing. So Jesus appears to the 10 of them. Um, it says that Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said, this is Thomas saying this, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, this is eight days now, this is eight days after the, after the resurrection. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through, though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now get this, this is really cool. Because I can just see, I don't know how many were in that house or how many were in that room uh, other than the disciples. But I could see the 11 disciples kind of gathered together. And Jesus comes in and says, peace be with you. And then he kind of like 
parts the sea and walks up to Thomas. Now remember, Thomas wasn't there. Jesus didn't hear this because he was there in the room. And he says to Thomas, he says, Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here in my hands and see. And reach out your hand and put it in my side. And stop doubting and believing. And uh, doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, I can see Thomas just melting at this moment. I can just see him falling on his face. Because he knows. I mean, you know, it's not just hearsay anymore. He has seen the scars in the hands. And he has seen the scars in the side. And he says, my Lord and my God. I believe he just falls on his face. And the Bible says, um, Jesus, well, let me back up. It says, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those. That would be this group of people right here, many of you. It says, blessed are those that uh, believed, or blessed are you because you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And then it goes on to say that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that were not recorded in this book. But these things are written. These things were written. The things that you're here, hearing this morning, they're written that you may have eternal life, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that you may, in believing that you may have eternal life in his name. Now, I want to just tell you this, and you probably maybe you've thought of this before, but when Jesus stepped into this world, he divided time. There's no other, you know, other, other religions, a lot of other great religions in this world. I mean, you can name them. And I'm not saying great because they're good. I'm just saying they're great because there are many, many in number that belong to them, whether it's, you know, Muslims or, or Buddhists or Hindus. But there's only one person that has divided time. And whether you know it or not, every time you write a letter or you write a check and you put the date on that, what you're saying is that today is April the 5th, I believe, 2015. What we're acknowledging is it's April the 5th, 2015 years since Jesus Christ stepped into this earth and divided time. Amen? All right. There's a couple of points that I just want to make. You, know, you can read this and, you know, things, you know, you, we read the Bible and certain things jump out, us, out, us, out at us. But there are three things that I saw in this. One of them was what Thomas said, unless I see, unless I see. I've got to see to believe. It says, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with, with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples came and told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see those nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But the Bible tells us that faith, that faith that, that we believe even when we don't see. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is that certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it ahead. Men of God in old days were famous for their faith. And you can just think about, you know, Noah built an ark. He built an ark in, in a desert place. Built this thing that's long as a football field. And uh, one and a half times as long as a football field. In a desert with no lake. And it had never rained up to that time. You know, the, the world or the earth was given moisture by uh, almost like that greenhouse effect. And so, you know, many thought he was crazy. 
Abraham is another example. God spoke to him and he says, I want you to leave the land of your ancestors and go to a land that I will show you. And he stepped out, not knowing where he was going or what this land was going to look like. He stepped out in faith. And God is calling us. This is the way when we come to Jesus, it's because we hear this story and it resonates in our hearts. And we say, you know what? I believe this is true. I believe that it's true. And that's what the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart, even though that you didn't see it, you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, that you will be saved. And so I want to just tell you that with regard to Thomas, I mean, we call him Doubting Thomas, and that's okay. I mean, it's just kind of the name that he's been tagged with. But I want to tell you that I believe that there was so much more that was going on in Thomas's life. I don't think it was just doubt that kept him from believing. I believe that he was discouraged. I believe that he was depressed. I believe that he was distraught. I believe that despair set into his life because for three and a half years, thinking about it, all, all of these disciples, every one of them, they had left their family. They left their wives and their children. They left everything to follow Jesus because they believed that he was the soon coming king, the Messiah. They believed that. And in a moment when they see him hanging on, on the cross and he dies on the cross, all of their hope is gone. It was just like, you know, we just wasted the last three and a half years because the one that we thought would be the Messiah is now dead and he's in the tomb. And I can further show you that through the scripture. This is what I talked to you about earlier about the two men on the Emmaus road. This is from Luke 24. And it says that Jesus catches up with these two guys and he asks them, he says, what were you discussing together as you walked along? And they stood still, and their faces were downcast. And I believe that that's where the disappointment and the discouragement and the despair come in. It says one of them named Cleophas asked him, Are you only visiting in Jerusalem? Uh, are you only one visiting Jerusalem? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? What things, he asked them. Jesus is just kind of playing them along. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people and the chief priests and the rulers, our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Now listen to this. This is more that discouragement and that disappointment. They said, but we had hoped. We put our hope in him. We had hoped that he would be the one who's going, who was going to redeem Israel. Do you see it? Can you see it there? The discouragement, the disappointment. You know, they, they had hoped. They had put everything, every fiber of their, of their being was in Jesus. And now they see him dead and hanging on the cross. Jesus, later on in that chapter, reveals himself, as I said earlier, to those two. And those are the two men that go back and tell the disciples. Something else that jumped out of me in this passage of Scripture, and it's called In the House. Now, we know that John was a believer. John chapter 10, or, or, and John believed, um, in John chapter 20, we see, again, he believed the Lord. And a week later, the disciples were in the house. Now, just think about this. Ten of the eleven have seen the risen Savior. But eight days later, they're still 
in the house. Are you with me? Now, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to prejudge them. But I'm thinking that after I saw all that Jesus went through, I think I might want to get out of the house. I, I, I think I might just want to get out of the house and tell somebody what I've seen. But eight days later, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And through the door, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. And then he said to Thomas again, as we read earlier, Put your fingers here and see my hands and reach out your hands and put it in my side and stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Again, I believe that at that moment they were in the house because they were afraid. They were afraid. They saw what happened to Jesus. They saw the beating that he took. And now those scribes, those same scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders are looking for the ten or the, or the twelve, not knowing that maybe G Judas had already committed suicide. But I want to say to you, at some point in your life, there are certain things that will keep you in the house. Now, there was a little inscription that that wasn't the end of the story. Remember that? It said that that wasn't the end of the story. But I believe that a lot of Christians stop after they believe that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah. I believe that they stay in the house. I believe that for years and years, and maybe, you know, many of you maybe fit this category, that for years you've been in the house. Now fear and disappointment and discouragement kept them in the house. After they were believers, they were believers. But I want to tell you that disappointment in your life, you know, I've tried church and church didn't work for me. I tried tithing, tithing didn't work. I tried prayer, prayer didn't work for me. I tried Christian, Christianity, that didn't work for me. You become disappointed and you stop coming to church and you stayed in the house. And I think it's time for us to get out of the house. As a matter of fact, I'd say it a different way. Get out the house. Let's just tell your neighbor, get out the house. Get out the house. God's waiting on you. Get out the house. Amen. All right. But listen, when it comes to Thomas, there was something about him. And I don't know what it was, but something was resonating within him, and he came back to the house. And I believe that, you know, he, he could have stayed away. He could have been disappointed. He could have said, well, I've wasted three and a half years. I've quit. I'm done. I've had it with Christianity. But remember, there was another time that some of Jesus' disciples turned away from him. And we read that in John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, at this point, and Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh, and unless you drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And it says that at that point, many of the disciples left. And he looked at the 12 and he said, um, he turned to the 12 and he says, are you going to? And Simon Peter replied, Master, to whom shall we go? You alone, listen to this, you alone have the words to eternal life. And we believe them and know that you are the Holy Son of God. And I believe that that's what brought Thomas back to the house. I believe that, you know, he was just hoping maybe for one more, one, I'm going to give it one more chance. And maybe some of you are like that today. I, you're here on Easter Sunday because, you know, it's two of those high holy days that most of us, when we don't attend the church, we always want to at least come on Easter and, and Christmas. But I'm telling you, 
my friends, you got to pick yourself up. You got to drag yourself back into the house. You got to drag yourself back to Jesus. And when Jesus shows up in your life and he breathes on you like he breathed on the disciples and told them to receive the Holy Spirit, then that's when you get out the house. Okay? When you are full of the Holy Spirit and God has broken every bondage in your life and he's broken the sin, sometimes sin will keep you uh, in the house. And sometimes, you know, um, you know, just being bitter or unforgiving for someone well, towards someone, maybe, maybe your boss or an employee, you know, you've got this bitterness. That will keep you locked up in the house. And God's saying, it's time, folks. There's a lot of work to be done. Jesus said, aren't there 20 or, uh, 12 hours in the day? He says, we got to work while we have the light. And we got the light right now. You are in the light, but we got the light. We got the Holy One. We got the light of heaven. Jesus proclaimed himself as the light of the world. And when you got the light of the world, you allow him to come in and fix all your brokenness. And you don't keep him at a distance. You don't say, Lord, you know, I'm going to allow you this far into my life. No, you let him have all of your life. You let him have all of your life. And when you do, you can get out the house. Okay. All right. Now listen. I know that there are some that are so broken. There's some that so, are so hurt. They're so paralyzed. They're like, you know, the four men that brought the man on the, on the cot. And they couldn't even get to Jesus. They just knew that if they could get him, this man that's paralyzed, if they can get him to Jesus, if they can get him to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. I want to tell you, you got somebody that you know, you got somebody that you love that's not walking right, they're, they're lost, and if you can get them, you know that if you can get them to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And that's the way these four men thought. And the, the house was so crowded, the house was so crowded that they go up on top of the roof and they start tearing the roof apart to lower this man down in the presence of Jesus. And when they do, Jesus heals the man and tells him, get off the cot and get out the house. <laughs> See, but sometimes we need help, and that's what Galatians chapter 6 says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. See, I believe not only were the disciples, that's what we got to do. We, we, when, when we find someone that can't get out the house, we got to go tell them. We got to bring Jesus to them. If they won't come to church, then your life and your witness and your testimony to them will bring light and healing to them and enable them to be whole again so they can get out of the house and serve the Lord. But I believe the disciples were troubled. They were troubled in the midst of all of this. They were discouraged. They were disappointed. They were distraught. They were, they were stressed out. They were afraid. But I think that deep inside, their spirits were troubled. But you know, there's a cure for a troubled spirit. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. And he is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Amen? So, when we think about Thomas, I'm going to just point out a couple of things that maybe you know and maybe you don't. 
But it was Thomas that said to him when Jesus said that he was going away and that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And Thomas said, Lord, if you're going away, where are you going? And how will we even know the way? He asked that question when I'm sure that the other 11 were thinking it. But Thomas raised the question, where are you going and how will we know the way? And Jesus said that famous scripture that we all know from John 14, 6, that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one can come to the Father except through me. It was also Thomas that when Jesus and the disciples were away and Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus died and Jesus tells him, tells the disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead, let's go back. And the disciples said, Lord, the last time you went back there, the religious leaders wanted to kill you. They wanted to stone you. They wanted to put you to death. And Thomas said, you know what he said? He said, let's go with him. We'll die with you. I didn't sound like a coward to me. Sounds like somebody that, you know, is more hurt, more discouraged than doubting. Hurt in his spirit. And I'm going to just tell you that there are two types of people. When, when people are going through a trial like this, when, when they're going through great disappointment, when they're going through great dis, discouragement, you know, there are those that need the body of Christ to be around them. I ask myself, you know, why wasn't Thomas in the house? Why was he away? What was he doing? See, I believe that Thomas was one of those people, and I can identify with this. You know, when trouble comes, you know, I appreciate you and I love you. But you know what? I got to get by myself. I got to get by myself and I got to hear God. And I got to ask God, I can't, I can't figure this out, Lord. What's going on in my life? Well, you know, why this trouble? You know, why are you downcast, oh, my soul, is what David said in the Psalms. Why are you distraught? Why, why all this trouble within you? Now, the body of Christ, I love you. And I know that, you know, we can be a comfort. The Bible tells us to comfort one another. And we do that. But I believe that Thomas was like one of those individuals that, you know what? I got to get by myself. I got to figure this thing out. I, I got to get my mind around it. I can't figure it out. I mean, I thought he was the one that was going to be the Messiah. I thought he was going to rule and reign upon the throne. I can't figure this out. I got to get alone. I got to get alone and I got to get a handle on this. And I believe that that's what he was doing. I don't think he was running. I don't think he was hiding because he came back to the house. Now, if you're going some, through something like that right now, just like Thomas, you got to stir yourself up. You gotta reach down and get something. You gotta get something deep with inside you. And you gotta get to Jesus. Now, if Jesus is in the house, you get to the house. But if Jesus is outside of the house, you just need to get to Jesus. Amen? Now, the Bible says that, I wanna just talk to you just a moment just about the twin. You know, they called him the twin. You know that you have a twin? I have a twin. Did you know that? I got a twin. He dresses just like me. He wears the same size shoe as I wear. He, he drives the same car that I drive. He sleeps in my bed. You got a twin. You got a twin. Let me tell you what your other twin looks like sometimes. It says, when you, this is Paul writing to the Galatian church, follow your own inclination, your lives. He's writing to believers. When you follow your own inclination, that means when you drift from the Word of God and you say, I don't care what God's Word says about marriage or sex or lying or stealing or cheating. I don't care what God's Word says about that. I'm following 
my own inclinations. It says your lives, your lives will, will produce these evil results. Impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, spiritism, that is the encouraging of activity of demons, hating and fighting and jealous, jealousy and anger and constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticism, the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. And there will be wrong doctrine, envy and murder and drunkenness and wild parties and all that sort of thing. And let me tell you, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not enter or inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said that it's not what comes out of your mouth, you know, or what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. For out of the heart, comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. These are what defile a man. But listen to this. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce the fruit in us. Love and joy and peace. This is the other side. This is the other half of your twin. And this battle is going on within you. The battle is raging between the bad twin and the good twin. But when the Holy Spirit, it says, is in control of our lives, He will produce the kind of fruit in us. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and good, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And here there is no conflict with the Jewish laws. And those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil twin. I just inserted that. Their evil desires... They've nailed that other twin to the cross and crucified him there. And now, if we are living by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And then the third point that I want to give you, and final point, is says Jesus said as he walked in the room, peace be with me, or be with you, be with me too. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. But see, when you're locked inside the house, you're not interested in going. When sin has you bound and chained to the house, you can't go. But Jesus said that he came to break every chain. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I see, guys, now I'm going to tell you that a lot of times, you know, we used to say that we leave, we come, to, we come to faith at the cross, and that's all we do. We just believe, like John and the disciples. They believed in Jesus, but they were locked in the house. Let me tell you what happens in the house when you're locked inside the house. There's no ministry. There's no revival. There's no one getting healed. There's no message. There's no preaching going on. You're just locked in the house. You're just a believer locked in the house. And God's saying that I came. And I came, he told the disciples, I came as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And they went and they gave their lives so that others would be sent. And by the way, those of you that are saved in this room this morning, you know why you're saved? It's because God sent someone. God sent someone to speak to you the word, the words of life, the words of hope. And then he tells them, he says in Acts chapter 1, don't leave Jerusalem. But wait, remember last week we talked about how the disciples, he sent two of the disciples down to that room to untie the colt, 
And he says, if anyone says to you, why are you untying the colt? Tell them that the Lord has need of the colt. The Lord has need of him. And so the two disciples did exactly what, they, what the Lord commanded them to do. And now he's giving them a new commandment. He's saying, do not leave Jerusalem. By the way, we're about, from the crucifixion, we're about 40 days from the crucifixion and resurrection. Do not leave Jerusalem. He's commanding them. But wait for the gift of my father. Wait for the gift that my father promised. When you heard me speak, the one you heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and they asked him again. They're redirecting that question. It's just like what he said just went right over their head. And they asked him, he said, Lord, it's at that time or at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, he's not going to be moved by their question. He brings it right back to the heart of what he was talking about to begin with. It's not for you to know the times of the date that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you, you can't be a witness for God. You need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I've got to go away so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you got to get out of the house. All right. All right. I'm getting close to getting, I'm getting close to getting close. All right. When the day of Pentecost. So they did it. They went, they, they went back. They were obedient. Pente, Pentecost, Pente comes from the word. Pente means 50, 50 days from Passover. Jesus had been with them for 40 days. He walked with them for 40 days. This, this is just my understanding of the scripture. He, Pentecost comes 50 days after Passover. Jesus was in the grave for three days. It says he walked with them for 40 days. That's 43 days. And then he told them to go to Jerusalem. So I'm believing that on the, the, the 50th day, seven days after they were waiting in that room. And I believe that that room, there, there's no scriptural proof about this, but I believe that's the same room that, that where the disciples picked up the donkey they got the donkey so that they could celebrate the Lord's Supper in that room. I believe that, that when the disciples went back, when they were hiding, they were hiding in the same room, what we call the upper room today. I believe when they went back to Jerusalem, they went back to the same room, to the upper room. They're in the upper room. I'm going to tell you what gets you out of the house, okay? This is what will do it. When the day of Pentecost comes and they were in the house, 120 of them, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me just say this. I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We'll come back maybe next week or the next week or two. They weren't talking gibberish. Because all of the people around them that had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, to celebrate Pentecost, the men and women said, aren't these Galileans? How is it that we hear them magnifying and praising God in our own native language? Aren't they just Galileans? They weren't just, you know, blah, 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 blah. 
You know, it was something that they understand. It was something that the, the, the residents, those visitors understood, understood, and they understood them to be praising God in a language that they could understand. And it says that they all began, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then one of the crowd says, uh, it says, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And someone, however, made fun of them and said, these men have had too much wine. But Peter stood up and, with the eleven and raised his voice. And remember Peter, he was locked in the house. But Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you supposed. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then he, gets, he says a little further, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over by you. He's talking about the crowd. He said, you guys. It was like, if, you know, if you were part of the crowd. He said, you know, you guys did it. You did it. He says, he was handed over. He says, this, this man was handed over by you. But it was but God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to them, and the other disciples, brothers, or they, and they said to Peter and the other disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, now listen to this, because you may not be in this place this morning. Maybe you're just attending church this morning. Maybe you're just kind of standing out. Maybe you're just kind of like, you came and you're kicking the tires this morning. You know, is this real? Is this message real? Is this message about Jesus Christ real? Because you see, I thought, I thought I tried it before, but it didn't work. I thought I prayed, and I didn't get an answer to my prayer. I came to church, but it didn't seem to help me. But you got to come back. you got to keep coming back. you got to reach down like Thomas did and come back. And it says that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Talking about water baptism. Every one of you in the name of Jesus for the, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and for all who are far off. Well, 2,000 years later, that would be us. We're the ones that are far off. But yet the promise is still to us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says to them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message and were baptized were about 3,000 that were added to their number that day. 3,000 souls come into the kingdom that day all because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they got out of the house. Now, if the house has a grip on you today and you feel like you're locked in and you feel like you need more of the Holy Spirit's power in your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I've got 
We have about 12 or 15 elders and deacons and prayer ministers. I want you to come forward. If you feel like, you know, this is the time for prayer. And this is what it's all about. It wasn't just about Jesus just staying there on that cross. You know, nothing really happened until the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and they got out of the house. I'm going to ask you, you need a greater measure of the Holy Spirit in your, in your life today. I'm going to ask you to stand up right now and get out of the house and come be anointed with fresh oil and receive a new power of the Holy Spirit. Because the promise is to you and to your children and to all of those that are far up, far off. Come on. Come on. Get out of the house. Get up. Get out of the house right now. God's calling you. God's calling you to get out of the house. Stand up. God needs you. The kingdom needs you. The ministry needs you. And God's saying as long as you are locked and bound in the house, the ministry won't get done. And your gifts won't unfold. Come on. Get up. Get out of the house. Get out of the house right now. There's no better time to do it. There's no better time to do it than on an Easter Sunday. And you're telling Jesus, Jesus, I've been wasting my life because I've been in the house way too long. I want to get up and get out, get out of the house right now. Come on, come on, get up, get out of the house. Be anointed fresh. Receive the power and new anointing of the Holy Spirit. Paul, I need your help. Where are you? Is he here this morning? Come on, come on, come on. Nino, can you come up? Come on, come on. It's not too late. It's not too late. Just receive a fresh anointing, a new empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. See, that's when it began to happen, is when they got up and got out of the house. Won't you come? Can you hear him calling you today? too late it's not too late to get up the spirit of God's calling you but some of you are still chained to the house the spirit of God is calling you right now and you're still chained to the house and God's saying get up get up get out of the house don't waste this moment don't waste this opportunity the spirit of God is calling you get up come on Come on, get up. Get out of the house. Lord, I need a new, I need a new freshness. I need a new power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Lord, I've, I've been in the house way too long, and I know that you have a gift and a calling for me. And Lord, I, I have not, just like Thomas, I can't get my mind around it. And you won't get your mind around it until you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And the only way that's going to happen is if you get up and get out of the house today. He's calling you today to get up, get out of the house. Come on. Come on. Don't waste an opportunity. To worship with the 
I can hear him knocking. I can hear him tugging. You can hear it too. You can hear it too. Get up. Get out of the house. Come on. Come on. It's not too late. It's not too late. We're waiting for you. The Spirit of God is waiting for you. Get up. You got to get out of the house. If you want to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be, you got to be filled with His Holy Spirit. You got to be filled with the power of His Holy Spirit. It's the only way that you can overcome the things that are that are blocking you right now. You got an anger problem. You got a drug problem. You got a porn problem. You got a marriage problem. You got a relationship problem. Get up. Get out of the house. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Now is the hour. Now is the hour. Get up. All right, I want to thank you for being faithful to the call that you heard the Word of God and you responded. And you're going to sense a new power and a new anointing in your life coming from the Holy Spirit. We're going to take our communion now. I'm going to ask those that are serving if you'll go get the elements. And, you know, it's a great way to end Easter, an Easter service. So those that are, we've asked to serve, I'm going to ask you to get the elements and come up. And we're going to partake. You know, while they're gathering that, and we'll continue this message uh, next week. About the Holy Spirit but you know the the, the Bible uh, especially the New Testament we call Matthew Mark and Luke the synoptic Gospels that just means that they're similar John's Gospel is different you know John's Gospel shows some things that the other Gospels didn't show in John's Gospel we see the marriage at uh, Canaan and the miracle that took place there in John chapter 2 in John chapter 3 we have that famous verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As Nicodemus comes to him, the other gospels don't have that. John chapter 4, we have the woman at the well. The other gospels don't have that. John chapter 5, we have the man sitting by the pool that is healed. We don't have that in the other gospels. In John chapter 6, we have what I quoted earlier about Jesus saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And, uh, you know, John chapter 10, we have, John chapter 9, we have the, blind man being healed, John chapter 10, the good shepherd, John chapter 11, Lazarus being raised from the dead. All of these things are just in John's gospel alone, and uh, they don't appear in any of the other gospels. But uh, can you say 3131? All right. Let me tell you what that is. I'm going to help you to remember something, because I'm going to show you something that's in all four gospels. We know the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is in all four Gospels. But there's something else that's in all four Gospels. And that's where the 3131 comes in. In Matthew chapter 3 would be the first 3 and 31. We have Jesus saying, or John saying about Jesus, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming that's mightier than I that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's in Matthew chapter 1. In our Matthew chapter 3, in Mark chapter 1, we have uh, Mark saying the same thing. 
I, John is saying, I will baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew, Mark, 3, 1. All right. Luke, John, 3. Luke, 3. John, 1. Luke, 3. John says, I will baptize you with water, but there's one standing here that I can't, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then finally in John, in uh, 3.1, 3.1, in John 1, again, you know, he says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The death, burial, and resurrection appears in all four Gospels. And the baptism, not just in water, but the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire appears in all four Gospels. It's important. It's important. We can't, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Without my power, you can do nothing. That's why we need the anointing and the power. Not just today. You need it when you walk out this door. You're going to need it all week long as you encounter men and women in your life. And he says, I'm giving you this power so that you can be my witnesses. And see, your witnesses is not just the words that you speak. Your witness is when God looks at you, or when men and women look at you, and they say, you know what? Man, guy used to be a drug addict, or he was an alcoholic, or he was just a, you know, sex-driven man. You know, he was unrelentless in his pursuit of chasing women, but look at him. His life has changed. So I'll give you power. See, you need the power to overcome, not just to testify, but you need the power of Jesus in your life to break the chains of the things that are holding you, the chains that are keeping you locked up in the house. And I believe that a lot of you responded to the word, and you're going to feel the freedom of what it feels like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be able to get out the house. Amen? Won't you come forward and... Uh, Jim is going to lead us in our communion. If you'll just come and take your elements, Jim is going to share some words with us. Hello, hello. Ah, good. Many people think that um, communion began 1,500 years ago when Christ celebrated it for the first time with his disciples. But actually the tradition uh, that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples that night at the Last Supper had been going on for 1,500 years before that. It began when the Jews were brought out of Egypt. And if you'll remember, the Jews had spent 400 years in Egypt. And during that time, um, they had gone from a place of authority, a place of power, a place where uh, they were living very well, to a place of slavery, to a place where uh, they were no longer 
considered friends, and in fact, uh, they were considered uh, a threat to Pharaoh. And uh, because of that, they were placed in great bondage, and they had uh, a great amount of uh, persecution, and uh, even to the point of having their children killed uh, by thrown into the Nile River. And um, at that point, at a certain point, God brought forth Moses. And Moses went, you'll remember, with, um, with Aaron to Pharaoh and started shouting out or, or talking to him and saying, let my people go. And he had to say it ten times. And the tenth time was a time of uh, terrible uh, suffering because uh, at that point, God was proclaiming that uh, the firstborn children of all would die. And there was only one exception. And that exception was those who had brought a Passover lamb into their home and kept it there for four days. And after four days, they sacrificed the lamb. They took the lamb and uh, the, the blood from the lamb, and they placed it over the doorpost of their home. And according to Exodus, that night, that terrible night of Passover, the angel of death came across the land, and all the firstborn died. And the only exception were, was in the homes where the blood of the lamb had been applied. So this was being celebrated for 1,500 years. And during that time, they were also taught that they were to eat uh, some, uh, a matzo. Let me have a piece of matzo there, please. Thank you. They were to uh, eat unleavened bread. And in fact, God ordained that in the eating of the unleavened bread, that they were proclaiming um, that the leaven had all been removed from their lives. And the leaven represents sin. And so it's interesting, as we look at these matzos, we got pretty small pieces here, um, but uh, they're striped and they're pierced, just like Jesus was. And uh, you remember that when Jesus brought the disciples together on that night, he said to them that uh, he had earnestly desired to celebrate this Last Supper, this Seder dinner with them. And uh, as he, the reason that he did was because this was the best place for him to explain to them what he was doing as he was getting ready to go and give his life for them and uh, for his blood to be poured out so that they could be... Um, covered as the angel of death passed over. And so for 1,500 years, they had celebrated this, and uh, they understood And every year they would have a time of Passover. God commanded that it was one of his celebrations, one of the seven celebrations that his people had to have every year, the Feast of Passover. And at that time, one of the things that they would do is they would every family would have a lamb, and Ron was, uh, sh was uh, showing me something a couple of days ago that actually, in addition to every family having a lamb, the entire nation of Israel would have a lamb. And uh, that lamb would be brought to the priests, 
at 9 o'clock in the morning on Passover day. And it would be bound at 9 o'clock in the morning, just about the time that Jesus would have been taken and put on the cross. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that lamb would be sacrificed, just about the time that Jesus died. And so we understand that there's a, a tremendous tradition that goes back way before Jesus, that Jesus was incorporating when he brought, when he brought forth communion. And so he took these two elements during the course of the Seder dinner. And um, at, at a certain point, he talked about each one. And I want to talk about each one for just a moment. The matzah, it is both a duty and a privilege to answer the four questions of Passover and to recite the mighty works of our faithful God. Don't you know the saying, it takes only a little chametz, a little leaven, to leaven the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old chametz so that you can be a new batch of dough. Because in reality, you are unleavened. For our Pesach, our Passover lamb, the Messiah, has been sacrificed. And you can read that in 1 Corinthians 5. During this season of Passover, let us break our old habits of sin and selfishness and begin a fresh, new, and holy life. He was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins, the disciplining that makes us whole fell on him, and by his bruises we are healed. And again he says in Zechariah, I will pour out on the house of David and on those living in Jerusalem, Jerusalem a spirit of grace and peace, of, of grace and prayer, and they will look to me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for, our, for an only son. Let us now share a piece of this unleavened bread of Passover. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. There were four cups that were shared or that were taken during the Passover dinner that night. Most people believe that the time when Jesus uh, told them uh, about um, his redeeming blood was actually the cup of redemption, the third cup. And it says in Exodus chapter 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Adonai, God's arm is not too short to save. Therefore, his own arm brought him salvation, and his own righteousness sustained him. Yeshua the Messiah lifted the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant ratified by my blood, which is being poured out for you. Just as the blood of the Lamb brought salvation in Egypt, so Messiah's atoning death can bring salvation 
to all who believe. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Let us gratefully drink. Let's pray together. Lord, as we have partaken of the unleavened bread, help us to remember that we have come forth cleansed and renewed. The sin has been removed. The things that caused death have been removed. And you have brought into our hearts and into our lives life, life eternal. Lord, let your life fill us anew and fill us afresh. And Lord, let us remember that just as the wine was taken that night, so your blood was poured out to redeem us. And Father, we're so thankful that by that redemption, we know that we have that eternal life in you, that opportunity to be with you forever. Lord, fill us afresh and fill us anew with your Holy Spirit as we remember, as we remember, as we remember what Jesus did for us. In his name we pray. Okay, get out of the house. <laughs>